You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Let's recap, okay? God brought judgment to a world that was full of wickedness. In the midst of all that, <coughs> God preserved a little tiny bitty group, a tiny group, so he could start a whole new world, a whole new creation, okay? God enters into a covenant with them, promising to save them, promising to preserve them in this world and entrusting life to them, right? He said, be fruitful and, be mul- and multiply. God's blessing was upon them, so everything's good. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is good. But let's look at Noah here, okay? Noah was blessed by God. There's no doubt about that. He was favored by the Lord. In fact, when he was born, his, even his given name, Noah, meant comfort. It meant comfort. The verse goes, He'll comfort us in the labor and painful toils of our hands, caused by the ground that was cursed by the Lord. So Noah's birth itself was a blessing, a comfort. This is good. And so God saved Noah. And during the 120 years of building the ark, Noah lived sanctified. He faithfully built the ark, even though people thought he was crazy. And during his entire 120 years, never, Noah never stopped preaching the word of God to those around him. So there Noah, he trekked on in holy fear. Noah trekked on in holy obedience. He trekked on in holy faithfulness, building the ark according to God's plan. And then it started to rain. It started to rain. God himself closed Noah and the ark when the time came for the flood. The waters rose. The waves crashed against the ark. The screams of the wicked slowly and frightfully began to quiet until there was only the sound of rushing water. But even in all that, even in the midst of judgment, God never forgot Noah. God remembered Noah. And so he saved them from judgment. And so finally, after about a year, the water receded, dry land emerged, and when Noah got out, what did he do? He remembered the Lord, right? He remembered the Lord, so he made a sacrifice. He made a sacrifice and worship and gratitude for God's salvation. So this is good. Things are still good. God was pleased with his servant. Noah, this a new Adam of sorts, where God would repopulate the earth with Noah and his family. God blessed Noah and entered into a covenant with Noah, giving him the rainbow, right? The bow that he hung, the bow of judgment, and instead blessed Noah and the people of the earth with grace, with kindness, with his promise. Noah was blessed and life was good. Everyone say, this is good. But look where we find him now. So this giant of the faith, okay, this great man of God, this guy who modeled perseverance through suffering, here he lies, drunk, naked, exposed, in his tent. And that's where our first point for today comes from. In the midst of great blessing, don't ever underestimate sin. Don't ever underestimate sin. Now hear me out, people. This great blessed man of God, Noah, he survived the flood, but guess what else did too? Sin survived the flood too, right? Sin survived the flood, and so did death. What does this mean? It means that no matter how hard Noah and his family may try to control their lives and living godly lives and living holy lives, well, at the end of the day, they are still fallen people. 
I think we all need to be well aware that sin was with them in the ark and sin walked off the ark with them. Sin was there. Like in Adam, the Bible says that the entire human race sinned and died. Death was passed on to everyone. You know, we name our children after these great figures in the Bible, right? I, I, although I, I'd say in my generation, a lot of people are kind of deviating from biblical names. So you're not seeing a whole lot of John, David, Matthew, Luke, and all those people, right? I mean, my generation, I remember going to a conference in California, and so uh, just for giggles, the uh, speaker said, because <coughs> all Korean Americans, essentially, they said, raise your hand if your name is David. Fifty people raised their hands. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, and this isn't the funny part, raise, keep your hand up if your name is David Kim. <laughs> and like 40 people just kept their hands up. Right? It's the same thing with John and Luke and all these things, and that's what we do. We name our children after these great figures. In fact, my namesake is King David, after these great men and women of the Bible. But the reality of the people is of, of people is that they're people. They're still people at the end of the day. And therefore they're fallen. And therefore they're sinful, no matter how perfect they might look. Take for instance. Immediately after the blessing of Exodus, right? When the Israelites were saved from bondage of, from the Egyptians, Israel still refused to trust in God and they died in unbelief in the desert. At the height of the pinnacle of King David's kingdom, when God had blessed him with wealth and power, and not only that, with peace, David goes on and sins by sleeping with Bathsheba and murdering her husband Uriah. After years of the world-renowned stories told of his wisdom and his wealth, at an old age, Solomon commits the sin of apostasy, and the once united kingdom splits. Get this, even only minutes after the intimate last supper held in the upper room with Jesus, even before Peter's feet were hardly dry from Jesus, humbly, wash, humbly washing him, what happens? Peter swears that he never once knew Jesus. Right? People are fallen, no matter how good they may look, no matter how righteous they may act. You will never be good enough. We can't say to ourselves, no one can. The mighty have fallen. Look, Noah thought life was good now. But then we read it here in verse 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Think about that for a second. He became, he became a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. So, okay, get this. Well, you, know, you know how we talk about sin? We always kind of sometimes like, uh, you know, if, I, if I'll catch Ada doing something bad, she'll act surprised, right? But in reality, when we sin, are we that surprised? Like, for instance, Noah, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. It's not like Noah accidentally stumbled upon some grape seeds, right? And then accidentally planted them. And then accidentally pruned the, the leaves, and then accidentally waited three years. It takes three years to create, produce viable grapes. Did you know that? So he waited three, accidentally three years. And then he accidentally harvested them. <laughs> right? And then he accidentally started crushing them. And then accidentally discovered the fermentation process. And then accidentally goes, oh, what is this? He knew what he was doing. Noah made a big mistake. This great man of faith fell, sinned. You may be doing well right now in life. Maybe things are soaring for you. Maybe relationships are good. Job is good. Income is good. Maybe you got good friends. Maybe you're doing well with God even. Quiet times are just 
awesome. God is just speaking to you. You have great moments of prayer throughout the day, but you see sin is sin, and it is full-time trying to get you. And it is crouching and knocking on your door. Let me say something about alcohol here because there's a lesson in here for us. Like, I can quote to you all a dozen verses in Scripture saying that wine is okay. Okay? I could say that, you know, um, they say, drink, with a, drink wine with a merry heart. Another verse says, come buy milk and wine. Another one says, wine makes glad or cheerful the heart of men. Also, we'll use the ever so famous story, Jesus changed water into wine. And on and on and on and on. But I can also quote to you all scripture saying the pitfalls of drinking too. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us not to be mastered by anything. Many places all throughout the book of Proverbs condemns drunkenness and its effects. In 1 Corinthians chapter, in 1 Corinthians we're also told that alcohol is highly addictive. And the Bible tells us that it's extremely difficult for the Christian to say that he is drinking alcohol in excess for the glory of God. Look, we can go ahead and try to find all sorts of justifications we want to drink or not to drink. Some say, Pastor Day, I only drink in moderation. Some say, I drink for my health. But regardless of how you drink or how you exercise your freedom to drink, just think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible. You can do anything you want, but not everything is beneficial. Now, you can't use, here's the thing, you can't use Scripture to definitively state that alcohol is bad. You just can't because the Bible says that alcohol is actually not bad in itself. So that means if you choose to abstain from alcohol completely, then you must be led by your own conviction and conscience. Some choose not to partake because they've come from an alcoholic family. They know what's done to families. Some choose not to partake because they uh, themselves have abused it before and a single drop would just unravel all the work that was done to get to this point of sobriety. I think John Piper, he said this. He said, if it was my choice, I would never drink a drop of alcohol. But if I were invited to a toast or a cultural event that required the use of alcohol for the love of my brothers and my sisters, I would not create a fuss and instead partake with a sip or two. So is it permissible? Yes. You can drink it if you like, but is it always beneficial? No. No, it is not always beneficial. Imagine this. Imagine, I'm, I'm going to let you guys run with your imagination. Imagination that, imagine if I was drinking. You saw me do a keg stand. I know, right? It's a crazy, ridiculous thought, right? I wasn't getting drunk. I was, uh, I was only doing a keg stand for the taste, <laughs> right? But I was drinking. Then one day, one of my members, or that evening, one of my members calls me and says, you know what, Pastor Dave, my unbelieving parent is on his deathbed. Can you come and share the gospel? Well, I'm reeking of alcohol by this point. How do you think the people at the hospital, the family members, the nurses, the doctors, the dying parent would, would react to my liberty in indulging in alcohol? Maybe it won't phase them, or maybe it will hinder them. So yeah, I have the right to drink. Yes, you have the right to drink, but is it beneficial? I had a friend in seminary. He also worked full-time in, court, in the corporate world. He and his coworkers would go to happy hour almost. They would regularly attend maybe like three, four times a week, right? Happy hour, just after work, go to a, a bar or a restaurant, just relax with a drink or something like that. And well, my seminary friend, he never got drunk. He doesn't, you know, he knows that drunkenness is bad. 
But he did drink a few beers every, every so often, especially during these happy hour moments. Well, one day, he had an opportunity to sit down with one of his coworkers to share the gospel. And his coworker was a, was a Muslim. And he shared the gospel to his Muslim coworker only to have his Muslim friend incredulously stare back and just kind of, like, sneer at him. And so my friend said, Why, what's going on? Are you, okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Muslim friend spoke up and said, I've seen the way you've enjoyed your alcohol every time we go out. Don't tell me that you've surrendered everything to Jesus because it sure doesn't seem to be that way. That wrecked my friend. Many Muslims consider alcohol sin, so yes, but either way, this friend, he had the liberty to drink, but again, it may not always be beneficial as it could ruin your witness. It just can ruin your witness. And I'm going to stop with that, okay? But I've said all that to say it's always more than just having the right to drink. People, listen to me here. Many times it's a calculated risk. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Every Christian is capable of committing even the most heinous of sins. You may have the blessing and the, of the freedom to drink, but don't underestimate sin because sin is always crouching right at your door and it would even use your liberties to potentially tarnish your witness and hinder someone from knowing Christ. So be careful. Be led by your conviction. Be prayerful. Use wisdom. Yes, you can, but is it beneficial? Everyone say amen. amen. All right. So let's get back to the story. So Noah's son Ham, right? It's a funny name. He did something foolish. We read that in verse 22, Ham saw his father's nakedness. Now quickly, this was not a sexual thing, nor was this like an accidental glance as he was passing by the tent. Ham saw, and the word saw meant that he gazed with satisfaction. Everyone say, that's weird. <laughs> he gazed with satisfaction at the nakedness of his dad. What could that mean? Please, Lord, give us a meaning. So who was Noah? Let's think about Noah for a second, right? Remember, Noah was this great, almighty, faithful man of God who was declared righteous by God. Noah obediently built the ark. He preached to sinners. He responsibly took in all the animals and took care of his entire family. Noah loved the Lord, and the Lord loved Noah. Noah was blessed. Noah was considered a giant of the faith, according to the book of Hebrews. And for some reason, perhaps, seeing this great man in such a compromising state incited Ham to take advantage of his father. Now let me tell you something. When I was growing up, I was best friends with a guy with a kid named John. He looked like me. Both nerdy, both wearing glasses, both same height, both same you know, body type, skinny, both braces, like mirror image. People mistakenly called me John and mistakenly called him David all the time. And I love the guy. We were best friends. We also competed all the time. And I'll have to admit, I admit he was smarter than me. He was faster than me. He was more musically talented than me. I think he was even cooler than me. He was just better than me. Do any of you guys ever, do you guys have a best friend who you dearly hate? Anyone? <laughs> Do you guys have like a best friend that used to like, oh, I hate you, but I love you? Well, we would compete academically too. One day he said something really sad. He said that he had to move to California. His dad was in the army, but it was only before one year. And so during that one year, during the academic year, we would talk on the phone. This is like when we were seventh grade, I believe. 
And we'd always talk about what's going on with our lives, but we'd always talk about our grades, right? Because we're mature. Especially when interims and report cards came out. And one day we're talking, I asked him what his grades were. And he goes, A, 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 B plus, B plus. And then he asked me what I got. And I told him, A, 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 B plus. Silence. Then he goes, Wow, you beat me. And I said, yeah, I guess I did. And I said, I miss you. And he goes, I miss you too, man. And all was good. But what I didn't say was what I did afterwards. And I, after I defeated my best friend, arch nemesis, I ran up <clears throat> to my parents and I said, I beat him, mom, dad, I beat him good. And like any good Asian tiger parent would, they said, they praised me. And they said, oh, very good, my eldest son, can I cut you some fruit? <laughs> if you don't know, Asian parents, just, they just, that's how they express love. They discipline, and then they cut you fruit. <laughs> By the way, I'm not like that anymore. The Lord has saved me since, and I am a new creation. So that's what Ham did. He saw this great figure of a man, his spiritual leader, his loved and revered father, the man, the legend, Noah. He saw his dad fall. And Ham gloated. He was giddy. He loved the fact that Noah was just human too, that Noah bled also, like the rest of us mortals. So instead of putting a blank over his naked father, instead of covering over his shame, Ham not only gloats over his dad's drunken state, but he goes out to find others join in on this. What a punk, right? Shem and Japheth, the two other brothers, they come in, they're like, oh, whoa, whoa. They come in, they immediately walk backwards, and they cover the nakedness, the shame of their father. Their faces were turned away from the shame so that they could still offer their dads any, some semblance of dignity and honor. So let's make this real for us, okay? So here we have some pretty specific sins that have been listed out. The sin of drunkenness that I mentioned already before, but also the sin of, get this, gracelessness. The sin of gracelessness. You know, there was a senior, high school senior quote that was circulating around the, uh, the internet, and this guy said this, it's not enough that I should succeed, but that others should fail. Right? Maybe it's a comparison game like it was for me and my childhood friend. Maybe for you, it's what you see on Facebook. All your friends are getting married. Right? All your friends are getting huge promotions. Your friends are having kid after kid after kid. Your friends are going on vacation and vacation. You're like, do you even work? So when you hear something bad, maybe a picture of a flat tire on their Instagram that says, hashtag late for work, hashtag what a horrible day, you get a little giddy. Maybe there's a person in your life who you know is fake. Other people think they're great, but you know what's really up, and there's this part of you that really wants to expose them for who they really are. You want them to crash and burn. You want them to not succeed. You want them in all their misguidedness and fakeness to come crashing down. That's a sin, too. It's gracelessness. Maybe you're hurt by someone. And so you thought to yourself, I hope that person feels the pain that I felt. I hope that person loses what I have lost. I hope that person suffers the way I have suffered. And no, the thing is, you can't do that. You, can't, you just can't say that. Because if you had any right to those thoughts, then, the, then be first to know, folks, that we would all remain condemned and judged for our sins. For us to cast judgment and condemn those who are faltering is for us to say that you don't deserve grace. But the reality is, neither do you, and neither do I. 
That's what makes grace, grace. It is undeserved. So Noah messed up big time. He got drunk. He got naked. He got exposed. But Ham, he shouldn't have gloated over that sight. He shouldn't have dishonored his father by finding satisfaction in Noah's fallen state. He should have covered over his father. Ham should have extended grace to his father. Ham should have honored his father, whether he felt he was worthy of it or not. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you need to extend grace to as well. Maybe there's someone out there who's hurt you and that you need to stop hoping that they fail. Maybe by God's grace, this is the time where you extend your grace to them, hoping that they would repent and be transformed. But what is this whole cursing of Canaan thing about then? And that leads me to my final point. Even in the midst of curse, God extends grace. Even in the midst of the curse, God extends grace. Everyone say hallelujah. So Noah, he wakes up from his drunken stupor. Somehow he finds out that Ham did what he did, so he curses not Ham, but Ham's son, his grandson, Canaan. Now hear me out. Some people believe that the curse of Ham meant a curse on the African nation and his people. It was not a curse on Ham. It wasn't. It was a curse on Canaan, the grandson of Noah. And so I believe people that bind to this whole Africa's curse, that they are racially motivated because the curse only applies to Canaan. The other nations like Egypt, Cush, Ethiopia were all descendants of Ham's other sons, not the descendants of Canaan. So who were the descendants of Canaan? They were the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the people of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. All these people lived in the land of Canaan. The curse wasn't against Ham. Because get this, because Ham was saved on the ark. Look, the ark represented salvation. We have to believe that Noah's sons and daughter-in-laws were also saved by God's grace. Not because they were children of a saved father. So the curse would not be appropriate to be placed upon an individual who was declared righteous. Ham, yes, being foolish, was still a man who escaped the judgment of the flood because he was a believer. He was a child of God, not because he was a child of a believer. He belonged to God. And so the curse was not for him, but for his son, Canaan. But why Canaan? You know, Ham had three other sons too. Cush, Misriam, and Foot. But we have to believe that perhaps those three sons were believers. And here we have Canaan to be the first acknowledged unbeliever. Again, I say this, not, well, I don't say that other people weren't sinners. But Canaan was cursed because if you were to look at Canaan's descendants, they immediately became enemies of God quite early on. They defiled their lands. They were immersed in idolatry and sexual immorality. They worshipped idols where they sacrificed children. The sins of the Canaanites were massive. They were hardly people that just temporarily strayed away from God. No, they were instead a nation of people filled with people who have outright rejected God. But stick with me here. What was God's covenant with Noah all about? It was based on what? God's pure grace, wasn't it? God's pure grace. In Romans 5, Paul says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Say hallelujah. So consider this here in verse 26. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. 
Let me break this down for you. Here, God blessed Shem by using his covenant name Yahweh, which means the Lord. The blessing of Shem is that he gets the privilege of carrying that name. So here we see the beginning of God choosing a people for himself, and it was passed down to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then to his 12 sons who were in the beginning of the people of Israel, God's chosen people. But not only that, God blesses Japheth too in verse 27. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. In other words, Japheth will also share in Shem's blessing. But who are the descendants of Japheth? It's the Westerners. We share in the blessing of Israel. We, the Gentiles, share in the blessings of Israel through the spiritual blessing of Christ. Hallelujah. I'm a Gentile. We're Gentiles. Okay, now hold on. Because there's actually something crazy awesome that's about to emerge from this text. Despite the curse of the Canaanites, they are still somehow included in God's blessing. Everyone say, what? Remember when Israel marched into Canaan to destroy it? Who was the first person they encountered? It was Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, a woman marginalized, a harlot, someone from the lowest of the low, defiled and corrupt nation of, of Canaanites. And what did Rahab do? This pitiful, marginalized prostitute. She repented. And she embraced the grace of God. So when Jericho fell, she and her family were protected. They were saved. The sinful, corrupt, wicked, rebellious family of Canaan, they repented and became a part of God's people. But that's not all. Because according to the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, Rahab had the privilege of being the direct line of descent leading to King David, which led to who? The Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is of Canaanite descent. Get this, folks. There is no wicked person under any curse, no matter how bad, who is beyond the reach of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Was Canaan cursed? Yes. But look what Christ did. He became the cursed one, Galatians 3.13. Jesus inherited Canaan's curse. Jesus came under the curse of the law. Jesus took on the curse of guilt, shame, death, wrath that you and I deserved. And all that in the midst of the curse of Canaan, a land of people who wanted nothing to do with God, emerged our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God extends grace. Grace to sinners, even in the midst of curses. Maybe you have a family member, spouse, children who refuse to believe and trust in Christ. Maybe you feel that your family is under a generational curse, as we've heard many times before. A curse of unbelief and rebelliousness. I ask you to do this. Look upon the grace of God. Seek the grace of God. Know that grace will always trump judgment. You know, there's no one so far that God's hand of grace cannot reach. You see, this passage is a warning to all those who, that we should never underestimate the power of sin. It doesn't matter how well you're doing in life, guys. It doesn't matter how good life may be for you. Sin will always be crashing at your door. There is no other answer for sin apart from the work of Christ. So you might be saved. You might be a Christian. But don't sit back on your holiness. 
Don't sit back on your godliness. Pursue instead all the more. Don't say, I'm fine. I've reached my spiritual cap. I've read Genesis to Revelation five times. I'm done. I've done my Advent Devo. I've done my life group commitment. I've done my service to the church and to the ministry. Don't sit back on your spiritual state, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, pursue an even more sanctified life for the glory of God. But lastly, this passage gives us such reassurance of God's grace to sinners that in the midst of whatever curse that you feel that you are in, God, he extends grace to you and to you and to you and to your families. You see, we gather here today not because we're worthy of God's favor. We come here today because we know that we are unworthy. We come here today because we need the grace of God. So for those who know Christ today, arm yourselves with the cloak of God's righteousness. Grow in your spiritual maturity. Surround yourselves with godly community. Do what honors God and do what lifts up your fellow man. And by his grace and mercy, yes, even for you, the Canaanite, who was under the curse for your wickedness, God, he still welcomes you to him. And he offers you grace. So come. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is huge. So whoever it is that you're praying for, husband, wife, child, uncle, aunt, mom, dad, God's grace is with you. And pray and seek and trust in the Lord, for he is good. Amen? Praise be to God for his amazing grace. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, you are faithful. And maybe for some of us or many of us, we feel that we're under some difficulty or curse or whatever you want to call it. And yet, God, we know that your grace is sufficient. Your grace is powerful. You will be the one to break our hearts. You will be the one. You are the one, Lord, who transforms the unbelieving hearts the calloused hearts. And so first and foremost, God, I I pray that we would be careful and surround ourselves with holiness and purity and godliness as we continue on in our journey with you, Jesus, because we know that sin doesn't matter if we're saved or we've been veteran Christians for such a long time. We know that sin is just right outside. And we, we don't want to fall But Lord, we also know that if we do fall, that you will be there to pick us up. We know that even when we do at times reject you or dishonor you, that you will be the one to reinstate us back. So we thank you for your grace. And I do pray for our families and our friends, our coworkers, our bosses, or anyone who in our lives that have yet to experience the saving grace of salvation. Father, I pray that you will come knocking at their door their hearts and that same grace that we received that they too would experience your goodness and your kindness would lead them to repentance Canaanite or not Father we know that the amazing love of Christ is far greater far more powerful so brothers and sisters I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds a minute just to pray Pray for that person. Pray maybe for that sin that you're stumbling with, that you're, that you're just harboring in your heart. That God, get, get rid of this for me. 
You died on the cross for this, and, and I have victory by your shed blood. So God, help me claim victory over this. But also take a moment and pray for that brother, sister, mom, dad, sister, whomever it is in your life who's living an unrepentant life. And ask, Lord, ask God that he will come and bring salvation to them. Okay? So let's take a moment and pray.